Okay, so how do you love someone who betrays your kindness? Right? We live in a I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back kind of world, right? That's the world in which we live. But what about someone who doesn't give back? You give to them and they and they don't give back. What do we do when someone can't or won't scratch our back? When we've given to them and they don't give what we are desiring in return. Before I move on, I just want to say that uh, something happened this week that's really never happened to me before. I wrote this whole series a few months ago. And uh, this week when I sat down with the sermon that I was going to preach this morning, um, the Holy Spirit just said as I was reading through it, no, change this, no, change this, no. And to the point where I completely scrapped the sermon that I had and replaced it with this. The theme is the only thing that's the same. Everything else in this sermon, I've completely changed. And before I kind of go into it, I just want to say also that I don't usually get nervous about preaching a sermon. This one has made me a little bit nervous because the the topic that we're going to be discussing is, I want to say for, if you will, the spiritually mature, it's for everyone, but you'll understand what I'm saying as we go forward. And so... Um, if you're young in your faith, okay, if you're young in your faith, what, what I'm asking for you to do this morning is to listen to what the word of God says and then begin to take baby steps in this direction. All right. I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to feel terrible guilt. I don't want to, I don't want any of those things. What I want you to do is take a step back and say, I need to learn I need to learn this morning, and then as I grow in my faith, I need to continue to apply what we're going to learn. Because last week and the, and the weeks prior to this have stirred up a lot of emotion, okay? Especially last week, talking about forgiveness, stirred up a lot of emotion. Um, this is going to be no different. As a matter of fact, if, if last week was, was challenging for us as believers in Jesus Christ in loving others, how to love others, this sermon's going to probably go one step beyond that. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 26. And Jesus' example of how to love while expecting nothing in return. Jesus set an example in Matthew 26 of how to love others while expecting nothing in return. How do you respond in love when someone that you have a relationship with seriously lets you down? They they have seriously let you down. They've disappointed you. They've discouraged you. They've betrayed you. They've deserted you. How do you still love a person who has treated you that way? And, you know, someone said this morning as they were leaving, they said, you know, um, I think we need all of us need to take responsibility for not only um, how we handle it when it's done to us, but realize we have done this in many cases to others. We have behaved this way toward others. And so there's two sides to this coin. And I I totally agree. Now, for many of you this morning, this is going to be way beyond a theoretical or even theological discussion. This is going to hit home. I think every single person in this room is going to be able to relate to how Jesus is feeling in this text and how he responded in this text. I'm also not ignorant or um, clueless of how difficult it is 
for every single one of us to apply this to our lives. How hard it actually is to live it out. That's why I said in the very beginning, if you're, if you're young in your faith, don't be discouraged. Just, all you're thinking is, how can I take the next spiritual step? How can I grow in my relationship with Christ? All of us on the same journey, I may be ahead of you, way ahead of some of you who are new in your faith, right? but my goal is the same as yours, to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. How do I walk as Jesus did? That's the goal, okay? So keep that in mind as we go through this sermon. Rich Thomas, my youth pastor, when I first started going to church, said that you have to give 100% to relationships and expect nothing in return. Then he said, whatever you get, you'll be grateful for that. I totally agree with him. I totally agree. The question is, do, do or can I actually live that out in my everyday life? What we're talking about here, and, and as I was going through the sermon and writing this sermon, I realized what I was talking about is unconditional love. We're talking about unconditional love. How do we unconditionally love people? That is something people throw out. Oh, unconditional love. You have to have unconditional love. You have to un- it, we talk about it, but the difficulty in actually unconditional love says I love someone when I get nothing in return, when I can't have my back scratched, if you will. I'm going to give and expect nothing in return. That is unconditional love. That is very, very difficult. If we can love unconditionally, then we, as First John talks about, can walk as Jesus did. Those who are following him should walk as Jesus, as Jesus did. That's difficult. We have learned, if you will, or, or are learning, if we can love unconditionally, what it means to truly live in the strength of Jesus Christ, not on our own strength, because you cannot pull this off on your own. I do not believe it can be done on your own, where you can love someone unconditionally. Human beings have uh, this overextended um, concept of justice. And, I, and I, I'm not against, I love justice. I live that out every day of my life. I try to be obedient to the Bible and do things that are right and just and fair and all those kinds of things. But we have a sense of justice. And when people step on our toes, when people harm us and they unjustly do things to us, that seems to well up and take over. And what I'm saying is, Unconditional love should be the foundation, not this idea that I, I have been wronged and this person's going to pay for it. Okay? Justice is good. Justice is right. But you can't get to the point where that comes a, a, the dominant theme in your life. And anyone who wrongs you, they need, you need to respond to that. So I said I'm going to go through Matthew 26. So in Matthew 26, at this point... And the story, Jesus and his disciples have already celebrated the Passover in the upper room. So they've celebrated the Passover. And in, in, in a beautiful moment of, of, of servanthood, in a beautiful example of servanthood, Jesus then washes his disciples' feet. Okay, so they pass over, he washes, it's just, it's a perfect example of how we're supposed to live our lives. The king of the universe gets down on his knees and washes the feet of his disciples. Now keep that in mind as we go through this, okay, because Jesus knew what was going on, what was to come over the next few days. Jesus then, after he does this, attempts to explain to the disciples what is coming next, what is about to take place. The disciples, honestly, didn't want to hear any of it. 
Okay, they were in, in a sense, they were in denial. And then Jesus goes to Peter and explains to Peter, Peter, you will deny me three times. You will deny your Lord three times. Peter doesn't like this conversation at all. And in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 35, Peter passionately reacts to it. It says, Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Never. And then remember this next part too. And all the other disciples said the same. They said the same thing. They were there. Even if we have to die with you, Lord, we, we're, we're with you, buddy. We, we are your followers. We have your back. We are with you. And that's honestly what we all long to hear. As, as adults, as children, we all long to hear, I have your back. I'm with you. I will die with you. I will die for you. I am with you to the very end. Whatever you go through, I'm going to go through. I'm going to be the one holding up your arms. I'm going to be the one carrying you through the mire. I'm going to be with you. We're all going to be with you, Lord. This is great. So at this point, his disciples, if you will, his disciples are kind of rallied around him. Because we are all looking, I mean, in our lives, we're all looking for that group of people. If you're younger, especially, you're looking more for a group of people sometimes. That group of people are going to be with you, your friends, your friend group. They've got your back. Or as you get older, that one person, that one person who's going to put more into the relationship than they take out of it. That's what we're looking for. That's love, right? That person is going to unconditionally love me and they're going to give more to the relationship than they get out of the relationship. So at this point, the disciples are, are, are with him. And it's almost, and you can see Jesus with his 12 disciples. It's his kind of love fest in a sense of they've got his back. They're with him, okay? They're his, these, are, these are the 12 best friends he has on this earth. And so at this point, it's good. It's good. Then Jesus leads them into the Garden of Gethsemane and invites his disciples, the guys who just said this, to come with him and pray with him before, okay, before he he goes through his arrest and he is crucified and he's buried in his resurrection. So he knows it's coming. He gets them all around and so far so good. It's perfect. He has all these friends who are willing to die with him, willing to die for him, who are willing to go to the very end with him prior to his arrest and his crucifixion. So it's good until you realize that when they're there, they all fall asleep. He says, pray with me. I'm gonna, this, is, this is what's going to happen. And they fall asleep. And in Matthew chapter 26, verses 42 through 46, it says this. He went away a second time. He had already prayed and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. How do you, what do you do 
when someone around you or maybe a, a, lo- a lot of people around you are unwilling or unable to live up to your relational expectations? What do I do when I pour into people? And, when, and, and you can say, well, I don't have any expectations. Yes, you do, and so do I. So if I pour into your life, if I'm discipling you and mentoring you, I'm pouring into your life, I have relational expectations of you. You're my, on my side you're going to back me. You're going to defend me. You're going to go, you know, going to go to the mountain, charge the mountain with a sword with me. You're, you're, you're my person. You're my people. So what do you do when you have relational expectations of others and then they fall short? They're unable to live up to the expectations or worse or worse. Okay, so that's just they're unable maybe. Okay. But worse, let me explain what worse means. Matthew 26, 47 through 56. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent by the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you have come for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword away, back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am am I leading a rebellion that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Listen to this. Remember what happened before? All his disciples said, got your back. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. We got your back. Got your back. What do you do when those closest to you disappoint you or betray you? How do you still love them? How do you continue to love them? In verse 47, it says that Judas approached Jesus. He says, while he was still speaking, started thinking, because this sermon, you know, I've read this over and over and over and over. But when the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week and said, this is, this is what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to use. I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And so Jesus, he said, you know, while Jesus was still speaking, well, what was he saying? Well, he was talking about the importance of prayer, right? Because he was with disciples who were supposed to be praying with him and by his side, and they fell asleep, and they fell asleep, and they fell asleep. So while he's in this topic of prayer, right, and then saying, well, now, guys, here comes the betrayer. But he, he's, the topic that he's discussing is prayer, the importance. Jesus is speaking of the importance of prayer, and we'll get back to that in a, in a couple of minutes. You need to remember that Judas was one of the 12, okay? 
This wasn't some casual acquaintance. This wasn't, this wasn't someone who was just an outside observer. It wasn't one of the chief priests who was betraying him. He's seen Jesus from afar, heard some of the things he was talking about. He's all, he doesn't like Jesus very much. And he's, you know, Jesus is challenging his authority and everything else. So he, an outside observer of this casual acquaintance comes along and, and betrays Jesus. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about one of the 12. Judas spent incredible amounts of time listening to Jesus teach, okay? Jesus, can you imagine being around the fire with these guys? We just came back from a men's retreat. We was crying together. We were praying together. We were talking. It, we, we were connecting with each other. Can you imagine the years they spent around, just around fires and Jesus kind of pouring out his heart and talking to them and sharing with them? This is one of the guys here. He, spo- he spent more relational time with Jesus than almost anyone else on the planet, those 12. So this is Judas, the guy who spent all this time listening to Jesus and relationally connecting with Jesus. The Bible says that Judas brings enough people with him, basically, to make sure his betrayal is going to be successful. Right, so he knows he's going to betray Jesus. So he brings a, you know, he brings a crowd, a mob of people armed with swords and clubs to make sure that his plan of deceit is going to be successful. In Matthew twenty six forty seven, Judas says it says that Jesus came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So he was prepared. Have you ever been relationally ambushed? I want you to think about that. Have you ever been in a situation where you were relationally ambushed? Have you ever had a group of people or a person rally other people against you and unjustly confront you? Maybe you were, maybe you were the person who did that to someone else. But right now, I just want to talk about you personally. And and have you ever been, okay, in a situation where someone rallied other people against you and relationally confronted you? Did you see did you see those divorce papers coming or that lawsuit coming? Did you ever think the person was scheming to the point where they were gathering all this info, all this stuff and you going to use it against you in a court case or whatever the case may be? You see that coming? You think about life sometimes. Did you see it coming when that person turned on you and rallied everyone else in the office against you? You went to work. That person had been scheming behind the scenes. They rallied all the other people in the office. So now it's, it's so tense because they, they, they lied. They schemed. They, you know, this person said this about you. and everything. They rallied the crowd, if you will, the mob against you. Did you see it coming when he or she told your entire family um, things about you, they, they maybe lied about you, they, they got everyone together and told their side of the story. Now, maybe there was a little tension, but they, they took the time to go around and call everyone and get everyone relationally against you. Did you see, did you see that coming? Relationally, being relationally ambushed? They didn't talk to you about it first. They didn't sit down as a group and both pers- people get to share what's on their heart and the reason they feel like this is happening. They just rallied everyone against you. While Jesus was praying, the disciples were sleeping and Judas was scheming. And Jesus knew it. 
That's important. The Bible gives Judas a title in verse 48, calls him a betrayer. He says the betrayer. So now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. So Judas is, is scheming and planning, but then he goes even further. And this is where you got to, even if you're an older believer, you, you have to understand what these words and these phrases actually mean because you can read over and over and over and over and never really understand exactly what's going on here. And so if you don't understand what's going on and what was actually happening, you don't get the full thrust of what Jesus went through, fully God and fully man, but the fully man went through Okay, you don't understand what the the fully man went through relationally so you can apply it to your own life. So Jesus doesn't Judas doesn't stop there. He greets Jesus with the most hypocritical encounter imaginable. He says to Jesus, greetings. Greetings. You think, yeah, greetings. He said greetings. No, what that means in the original language is a hearty hello, a hearty hello. The difference between. Hey, Bob. And Bob, hey, man, good to see you, Bob. Hey, good to have you. So good. To, I'm telling you, so good to have you here this morning. You know, I know we saw each other on Wednesday, but golly, it's so good to see you. That's Bob, everybody. He said, well, it was so good to see him. There's a difference between, hey, Bob, okay, and pulling a person in, okay? So this is exactly what's happening with this, with this greeting. Have you ever had someone act one way to your face while they're scheming and plotting behind your back. It's one of the most discouraging experiences you're ever going to have in your entire life. When someone who is being kind to your face and acting one way in front of you, while at the same time they're, hey, hey, they're behind your back plotting against you. I've had people literally sit in my office with tears coming down their face saying one thing to me how they could never do such a thing and they would never and I don't know why anybody would whatever. And, they, and in their minds, I know this because of experience and having played the whole scenario out, in their minds they're thinking, sucker, snow this guy. Crying, they're crying. In their minds they're thinking, ah, oh, he's buying this hook, line, and sinker. Plotting, scheming. Ever had anyone who to your face was acting one way, then plotting and scheming against you. Then, G, then Judas does something else. Again, so you got the greeting down. It's not just, hey, it's, oh, right? Then you get a kiss. You say, oh, yeah, kiss. Now, I want you to understand, this is not some um, cultural peck on the cheek, because that's what you think. Right. He walked over and did that cultural kind of kiss thing. When I was I grew up a lot of my life in New York and in New York in the Northeast, when you greet someone, you don't even think about it. Honestly, you don't even think about it. When you give them a hug, you touch cheeks and you, you make like a kiss sound. All right. But you're kissing the person in a sense on the cheek. That's what it is. It's, it's a cultural kind of connecting point. But you don't even realize sometimes, you're, when I moved to Cincinnati from, from, uh, from the Northeast, I came here in 1991, and I was going around greeting people as a new youth passion and everything, and at one point at someone's house, I just gave the person a hug and touched and did that whole New York cheek. I didn't think about it. They said, ooh, you kissed me. And I said, I didn't kiss you, lady. What are you talking about? I didn't even think about it. That's the way we greet it. That's just the way you greet each other. That's not, that is not what the text is talking about here. In the, religion, in the original language, it means kissed him fervently. 
Okay, so again, dig down a little deeper. Fervently, what does it mean? What does fervently actually mean? It means having or showing, listen, great warmth or intensity of spirit, feeling, and enthusiasm. So Judas, I mean, you talk about hypocrisy here. So Judas comes up and greets him. Yeah, you know, that whole frontal greets him. The Greek word kiss here means it's basically a connotation. It has a connotation of love and friendship. When you greet someone the way he greeted him, it's a greeting of love and friendship. Then I'm thinking, how can I explain this? Because there's a difference between when you kiss your wife, right? That's one kind of kiss. You kiss your wife. But how do you fervently kiss someone else? And I realize, you, most of you know, my, my dad passed about six months ago. And when he, especially I'm going to talk when he got a little older and more frail. And I go to visit him in Virginia. And I come in the door and I would kiss him, okay? I would hold him and I would kiss him. That gruff, he had that, always had that scruffy, you know what I mean? He had that gruff cheek. I would kiss him on that cheek. Kiss him. I would fervently kiss my dad. I love my dad. So I kiss him. My dad was dying in the hospital. A night I spent the entire, it was a night I spent with him the entire night. And it was the best night of my life and the worst night of my life. And and that, that night when I was helping clean him off and take care of him the entire night as he was going through, you know, basically dying. I, I kissed him on the forehead. I took his hands, his head in my hand. I kissed him on the forehead. I, ki- I kissed him multiple times, fervently. I loved him. So I kissed him. This wasn't a kind of thing that he did to Jesus. When you, when you do this type of thing, you're expressing more than just, hey, how you doing? And it's, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. You think about this. It's frightening how people can act one way in their minds like I said earlier, but scheme against you. Judas ate the Passover meal with Jesus. Then Judas greeted Jesus the way I described. Then Judas kissed Jesus. All of these things exhibited a deep, when it, what, the, what he was communicating was a deep friendship. Okay? A love and friendship. When you, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, when you eat a meal with someone in that culture, this is an expression of not only love for someone, but you're saying to them, I will not harm you. We are connected. There is a oneness, okay? It's, when you sit down with a meal, if you're, if you're in, at odds with someone, what you're saying to them is, you're saying, I will not harm you. We, everything is forgiven. It, it's, it's a big deal. So eating a meal with someone, go study what it means to eat a meal with someone. Go study what that greeting meant and go study what that kiss meant. And that's what we have here. This is what Judas was doing. It is, it, what a chilling example of total hypocrisy. It, total hypocrisy. So the question is, what are some lessons that we can learn from Jesus of how to love others? How how did Jesus respond, and what can we learn from Jesus' response? Number one, first, Jesus was calm and not calculating. Jesus was calm and not calculating. What would you have said if you, like Christ, knew exactly what was going on in this circumstances? I've told you before that Jesus sometimes uh, restrained his deity so that he could, t- he could experience things as they happen. Could Jesus have known everything about everything when he was here on earth? Yes. But he restrained his deity, fully God, fully man, so that he could experience certain things. This was not one of those times. Jesus knew exactly what was coming. So what would you do if you, like Jesus, knew exactly what Judas was up to? 
None of this was surprising to Jesus. None of it. How would you have handled it? I mean, you think about this yourself. Now, now you put yourself in this place with people that you've invested in, that you've given, that you've loved. How would you have handled it? Would you have reacted in the heat of the moment? You, he, he comes up. I mean, come on. I was talking to Pastor Andy, and we were going over this a little bit. And Andy, was, he got worked up in my office just thinking about it. When someone's like, hey, you know, and, they, and they, they give you that, it's all, but you know it's phony. You know that it's phony. How do you react? You just, re, you just kind of react out of the heat of the moment? Would you, well, this is maybe most of us, would you, would you have calculated your next move? Would you calculate your next move to counter their schemes? They're scheming against you. Would you have calculated your next move in order to kind of overcome their schemes? So the question is, what did Jesus do? He was calm without being calculating. Jesus didn't calculate it. He, he has control. Jesus controls himself. He responds with control, not just emotion. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 50, it says, Jesus replied, friend, do what you have come for. Judas, do what you've come for. Ever wondered why Jesus spends so much time in prayer? Think, ever think about that? Honestly, well, yeah, you want to be with the Father. No, think about this. No, get, get back to the fully God, fully human. Come back to the fully man side. Why did Jesus spend so much time in prayer? Why when he went to, why right, right before he was going to go and experience all these things, not just crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, all what we just described. Why do you think Jesus spends so much time in prayer? He's fully God and fully man. I believe the fully man side needed to connect with the heavenly father often to prepare for what he was about to experience. he's, He's a man too. He spent years with these guys. I believe with all my heart that he needed to spend time with the father Often, to, uh, I mean, time with his father to prepare for this type of behavior, which leads us to number two. The second lesson we can learn, and this one I want you to write down. I don't ever want you to forget this, okay? Because Jesus teaches us a lesson here that is so profound. The second lesson we can learn about love is that Jesus was prepared to love. Jesus was prepared to love. We say, you know, we, we think of love. Oh, love, it's a feeling, and I'm emotionally, you know, it's, that's true. It, there, love is a good feeling, and love is, has something to do with emotions, our emotions, all that kind of thing. But Jesus, he prepared to love. He planned to love, even to the very end. How do you hang on a cross physically, emotionally, and spiritually completely spent Okay, you're overwhelmed. And what do you say to the father when these people have abused you, abandoned you, betrayed you, nailed and put nails in your wrists and nails in your feet and are spit on you, shove a crown of thorns on your head. Everyone scattered. You're there by yourself. Hang on the cross. The father for the first time in eternity throws his back on Jesus. He has experienced all these things. And what does he say? Anybody? Thank you. Father, forgive them. Jesus prepared and planned to love. I'm sure he wasn't hanging on the cross and feeling just warm and fuzzy. But everything was happening to him. Jesus prepared to love. He planned to love. How ready are we to love those who don't love us back? This is where it gets really hard. 
How, how ready are we to love those who don't love us back? How ready are we to love those who betray us? How, how ready are we to love those who disappoint us? And now, I, and I, I'm going to say this, okay? I don't want anyone feeling guilty about the past and, you know what I mean, feeling condemned or anything. I'm just going to ask a question, okay? And I want you to think it through because many of us, when, you're, when you get married, you're, you're young. You're real young. I talked to a lot of people about this after the service, and we were all just kind of actually laughing about it a little bit. But I want to ask you a question. How ready were we, everyone, okay? How ready were we to love when we took our wedding vows and commitment before God? You planned the flowers. You planned the, the dresses. You planned You planned everything. The question is, how ready and prepared were you to love your spouse, your, your, your person who is going to become your spouse? How ready were you to take those wedding vows before God? I thought about this. I thought, wow. And then I thought, okay, what do, what do we actually say in a wedding? I want you to put your name in here, not to make you feel guilty, I promise before God, but to think about what it means to have unconditional love and to think of the, the steps that we need to take to become more like Christ in, when it comes to unconditional love. I, and put your name in there, I blank take you blank to be my wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. We planned everything. But how much energy and time, and I'm not criticizing, I'm really not. I'm just asking the question for all of us. It's like, this is a a great lesson Jesus is teaching us. (laughs) What was our plan to love our spouse till death do us part? What was our plan? Did we prepare? Were we prepared? We were prepared for everything else, but we were, you know, and, and oh, no, no, why would we do that? We're in love, right? We, we, I just feel so good, and I'm so happy. What a great day, right? Love will carry me through. Love will level, level, love's all we need. But were you prepared? Did you plan to love? If we don't plan to love, our commitment will fail. It will fail. Jesus, Judas wasn't the only one who betrayed Jesus. He wasn't the only one. Verse 56 says this. Then all of his disciples deserted him and fled. Remember Peter? Peter was a three-time loser. Three-time loser. Are we, am I prepared to love people enough to give them a second chance? Am I prepared? And do I plan when I love someone to, 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 to let, allow them, if you will, to bounce back? You know what? You know what the greatest expression of unconditional love that I see in the world is? Mo, I'm saying most how parents love their children. They make mistakes, and they make mistakes, and they make mistakes, and they make mistakes. And honestly, that is, the, to me, it's a great expression of unconditional love, how we go back and forgive them and love them and support them and encourage them. We just keep going back and back and back. I mean, your kids can almost do anything. And you, even if they do something terribly wrong, and I mean, I know people who've done things terribly wrong and they're in prison. You know who comes to visit them all the time, every time there's an opening? Right. Yep. Do we love people enough to allow them to bounce back? Jesus teaches us if we're going to, he teaches us if we're going to truly, if we're going to truly give love without expecting anything in return, if we're going to truly love people without expecting anything in return, it will take a plan to love 
and lots of prayer. It will take a plan to love, a, you're prepared to love, and lots of prayer. Spending time with the Father, spending time with Christ, praying about this. Think about it. How often do you prepare, do you actually prepare or plan to love? Or, or do, we, do, we, do, we, do we just react emotionally in the moment? Is that the way we, is that our love? We just react. If, I, if I'm not feeling it for you, then I'm going to react like I'm not feeling it for you. If I am feeling it for you, then I'm going to act like I am feeling it for you. But how, how much do we plan and prepare to love the person when things aren't going so great and they're not giving us the relations, relational, emotional support that we think that we need or deserve? Do we get to our wits end and give up on love or give up on the other person? Have you written off that coworker, have you written them off? They, they were unjust. What they did was that you, your sense of justice, you've written them off. Have you written off your coworker? Have you, have you written off your relative? Have you written them off? Have, have, you, have you basically written off your, 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 that friend? You've written that person off. They, you know, they were down the street. They were your best friend. They were a close friend in your neighborhood, but they did this and you've written them off. Have you written off your spouse? Say, I'm not divorced. I didn't ask that. That's not what I said. Or are you willing, like Jesus, to pray for strength and prepare for love? You know, I, I got to tell you, I'm going to stop for just a second. I, if you think I'm standing up here preaching at you and like, you people, you people, I, I know, I know what I'm saying and how difficult it is. I, I totally understand when I say these things. Some of you or in your mind, it's almost like you're fighting with everything in you to ignore what I'm saying because you're ticked. You don't want to hear about unconditional love. You've been stiffed. You've been treated poorly. And I'm not talking abusive. I'm not talking abusive. I'm, I'm talking about just relationally. You you gave and you got nothing in return and you are done. You have written the, this person off. Are we willing, like Jesus, to pray for strength and prepare for love? That's the question that I have to ask myself, that we have to ask each other. I'm not talking just about, and I have great relationships with my family members. I love them to death. But how about people outside, maybe outside of your family? How about, how about those folks? Maybe on your way to work tomorrow, on your way to work, you need to pray and ask God to help you to love your coworker. Maybe you can say like, Lord, help me to invest in John's life today. You know, John stiffed you on that project John's kind of turns, maybe your, you know, Courtney has turned or Sally, whatever has turned people against you in the office. And so how are you going to prepare or plan to love them when you get to work? What's your plan? I can tell you right now, if your plan is I'm going to get them, um, probably backfire on you. Probably not going to work. Probably going to be even more miserable than before. What's your plan? Maybe you can pray, help me, Lord, to respond to my husband or my wife with a calm spirit and kind words when they aggravate me, when they push all my emotional buttons, when that habit just starts to get on my nerves. Help me to invest in that relationship. What is your plan to invest in that relationship? What is your plan to prepare to love in that relationship? Lord, help me to, to really work at it. Help me to really work at it, even if my spouse or my coworker or my children really aren't going to. How do I love unconditionally? How do I love someone who's not loving me in return? You know, Jesus responded with control and compassion. He responded with control and compassion 
because he had spoken to the father about all this a lot. He spoke to his father about all that was going on a lot. He spent time in prayer. He, he, he planned to love and then asked the heavenly father for the strength in order to get through what he was going to get through. Not only get through it, but continue to love people through it. The third and last lesson we can learn from Jesus is just because just because you have the power doesn't mean you always have to use it. Relational power. Just because you can get someone, just because you have the power to get back, doesn't mean you should always use that power. Could Jesus have responded to all these people in a totally different way? Absolutely. He could have done anything. He had the power, but he chose not to use it. Now we're talking about the fully God side. The fully God side could have done anything he wanted to do. We often have the ability relationally to inflict pain, to respond, to react, to retaliate, sometimes by withholding love. We withhold love from another person. But Jesus is showing us a different path. He's showing us a different way to do this. And again, I'm going to say it. This is really, really hard. If Jesus wanted to deal with Judas and the disciples who abandoned him and betrayed him, and those people who came against him with swords and clubs, if he wanted to respond to them with aggression, if he wanted to respond to them with force, he certainly could have done it. No problem whatsoever. No problem. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53, it says, Do you not think, do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You may have enough dirt on your boss to get him or her fired and to ruin their lives. You may have, you may have enough information about your ex-friend or ex-whoever to embarrass him or her for the rest of their lives. You know so much about them. You were close with them and they betrayed you. You, have, you, could, you could take everything from the vault and you could destroy them and embarrass them for the rest of their lives. You could, you, you could, you could trade gossip for gossip in the office, right? To even the score. You could trade gossip for gossip to even the score. They were unjust. They were wrong. They did this to you. Two can play at this game. But Jesus says that love doesn't respond that way. Love doesn't respond that way. Is it true power? Think about it. Is it true, is it, is it true power, if you have it, to to respond in kind, to react in kind? Or is it true power to love and not react? What's more powerful? What's more difficult? What's more challenging? What is true power? What is true power? To respond in kind or to love and not respond in kind? Choosing, choosing to be godly, choosing to be righteous, Choosing, choosing to love, even when you're not going to receive anything in return. Choosing to be godly and righteous and loving, I'm telling you, is a truly powerful act. To, to, to be retreated some way, to love someone and not get that love in return. To not respond in such a way that harms the other person is a truly powerful act 
on your part. It's a powerful act. That's what is called unconditional love. And if we, want, if we are followers of Jesus Christ and we want to walk as Jesus did, then we need to express unconditional love. And again, this is so hard. I may be at one point in my spiritual journey, so I can maybe do it a different way. You're, you're at a different place in your spiritual journey. But you know, it's so hard, but we can all learn it. Jesus was a perfect example. He lays these things out for us and shows us how to do it. And he will bless us for our efforts. He will bless us. So here's our homework for the week. I want you to pray for and plan to love someone. I want us to pray for, each of us to pray for and plan to love someone. Not someone easy, someone hard. Maybe someone that we've written off. We've written this person off. So the homework is to, is to pray and to plan to love someone. Are you ready to give love without expecting anything in return? That's really the question. Are you ready to give love without expecting anything in return? Let's, let's just bow our heads together. Father, simple question, profound Lord God question. Am I, Jeff, ready to love someone, to love people without expecting anything in return? I'd love to say that, oh, I'm, God, I'm there, yeah. Lord, I can do it sometimes, you know that, but there are other times I fall short. I feel, I feel like someone has cheated me or harmed me or unjustly did something to me, and I'm, I have every right to. And, but God, when I start to feel that way, We talked about boundaries last week. That's not what we're talking about. When I feel that way, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to my heart and allow me to love people unconditionally, to love them when they can't love me in return. When maybe they're, because of their experiences in life, they're not capable of loving me in return. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the example he set for every single one of us. He sets the bar perfectly. And God, I want to, and I know everyone here, even though it's difficult and it may be a long track, we desperately, Lord, want to achieve what you're laying out for us. We want to become more like you. We want to love unconditionally. So, Father, help us. We truly, desperately need your help. We cannot accomplish this on our own. It will take the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ living in us, the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. It will take prayer, intense prayer with you, Lord, to do what you're asking us to do. So we beg you, we plead with you, that we would open up our hearts and allow you to pour that strength into us, that we may walk as Jesus did in his precious and holy and awesome and humble and amazing name. Amen. Have a great week. Love you.